this 22nd chapter, verses 1 through 14. Uh, you may find it in your pew Bible. If you want to, on a New Testament section on page 24. A couple weeks ago, you may recall, we, um, we, we're in Matthew um, chapter 21, and you, we, there, you may recall that Jesus was um, being questioned by the, the chief priest and, the, and some of the, the Pharisees and the elders, asking him, what gives you the authority to do all this? Jesus had gone into the temple, turned over the tables, um, been healing people, been teaching, and they stopped Jesus and said, wait, who gives you the authority? Jesus says, I'll, I'll answer you if you answer me. Who gives you the authority? Um, and so we're still in this scene. Um, Jesus they were questioned by the, the chief priests and the elders. Jesus gives a parable, and now Jesus gives a second parable. And I invite you now to listen to God's word. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. Well, the rest seized the slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers. And burned the city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him in hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be sweeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The legendary preacher Fred Craddock, the late, I guess, legendary preacher Fred Craddock, recalls a time years ago when he uh, canceled a flight at a motel near the airport to search for a church within walking distance. Since the next morning was Sunday, a housekeeper at a hotel pointing in the direction of one about six blocks away. An arrival at the center block building in which a, a few tired souls had already begun to sing the gospel songs brought credit to a sermon by a nervous preacher on the text James chapter 2 verse 23. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and what was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. The opening words of that sermon was Abraham was a friend of God. I'm sure glad I'm not a friend of God. And then the sermon was his explanation of why he was relieved not to be a friend of God. He recalled the story of Abraham, pilgrim and wanderer, who after years of homelessness, homelessness died and was buried in a land that was not his own. Abraham was a friend of God, he shouted. I'm glad I'm not. 
And then he spoke to other, others who had been called friends of God, faithful in spite of dungeon and fire and sword. He concluded with Teresa of Avalar, remembered it as a friend of God. The preacher recalled her begging in public to raise funds for an orphanage after a series of setbacks of flood, storm, and fire, repeatedly destroying an orphanage. Teresa, in evening prayers, said to God, So this is how you treat your friends. No wonder you have so few. Fred Craddock recalled that the sermon closed with this counsel. If you find yourself being drawn into the inner circle of friends of God, blessed are you, but pray for the strength to bear the burden of it. Did you notice? Verse 12 in our reading this morning. The man not wearing a wedding robe was called friend. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's figure out how we got to this point. All we know, by the time that we reach the 22nd chapter of Matthew, Jesus, who was tired, um, who tried to invite the proper people of the time, Jesus, who attempted to befriend uh, all the Pharisees, Jesus, whose friend list was open for all, has reached a point where he gives instructions to invite all who feel left out, put down, lost, least, last. At the end of this chapter, Jesus has asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, there's not one greatest commandment, but two, first Love God with your whole being. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. This approach to saving the world. To love God, love neighbor, include all on the guest list. Was so radical, so scandalous, so threatening that those in power just a few days after Jesus tells this parable stood at the front of the line and they yelled, crucify, crucify. And if we're honest with ourselves, this radical message that Jesus gives is still so scandalous. We too at times yell, crucify, crucify. And because that's human's nature to, to want to yell, crucify, crucify so quickly. We need to approach this parable very carefully, especially in the light of the week that we just had. Lives destroyed, stripped away, ended in both Israel and Gaza. The scenes and the stories from these regions are just horrifying. This parable is not a how-to when approaching war. God could have saved the world through through destruction many times over by now, but God chose to save the world through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. This parable speaks for us today, yes, but it was also written in the context of 2,000 years ago. The parable, like all parables, are meant to just grab our attention. They're meant to shock us. A man had a younger son who took his whole inheritance, left home, lost it all, returned home, and guess what? His dad shockingly grabbed him by the neck, hugged him, and said, let's throw you a party. A shepherd has a hundred sheep 
One gets lost. The shepherd shockingly leaves the 99 behind to go find the one. There's a landowner who hires a slew of workers. Some have worked from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., others 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., and others somewhere in between. When it comes to payday, shockingly, the homeowner pays them all the same? This parable is no different. Grabs our attention. Shocks us calls the church to look within herself. My guess is the one who was born to save this world through love and grace. The one who is just days away from facing the cross does not give us this parable with anger and vengeance. No, my guess is our Savior tells this parable with sadness. For many a call, but few are chosen. You know, it's often us, not Jesus, who struggle with the friend group. Sister Joan Chester writes about growing up as an Irish Catholic, a child of a Roman Catholic mother and a Presbyterian stepfather. In those times, they recalled us having a mixed marriage in the house. And what they meant was one was right while my stepfather was wrong. We had the truth. He did not. We would go to heaven, and he... Well, heaven for him, for them, for those Protestants was at best uncertain. And sad, yes, but we knew it to be true nonetheless. Except, she continues, deep down inside of me, even then, the justice of that uh, statement went begging. The, the problem is that my stepfather was a good man, an honest man, a hardworking man. He even won a Bible for perfect Sunday school attendance. What kind of God would burn the good because they belong to the wrong church? I found myself chuckling when I read Sister Joan's childhood memory because of my household. In my town, full of Protestants, we had the same or similar conversations. It was just reverse. Sister Joan concludes with a prayer. Oh, God, save us. Save us from the smallness we practice in the name of religion. We've come a long ways with Protestants. Catholic relationships throughout many of our lifetimes. But the deeper and the more critical interfaith question is, this is, is a matter of how religions relate to one another. How is religion influencing culture and politics, John Buchanan recently asked. Particular at, at this moment in our nation, at this moment in our world, how is religion shaping and forming international and geographical relationships? I think that might be the most important question, the most critical question that the church has in front of her today. And that is true for today as it was 2,000 years ago. 
revealing more to us about this friend who didn't come to the wedding wearing a wedding robe. I think the king looked over. The king knew that being a friend still meant something. Friend describes a relationship. It implies mutuality. A friend implies love. Compare this to the servants who were sent out into the streets and gathered the guests. Sure, this is hard work. This is really, really hard work. A servant comes in, they punch a clock, they work a full day, it goes home and says, wow, what a difference I made today. But to make a difference does not always require seeing the full picture. Being a friend. Being a friend, that changes everything. In John's gospel that Mel read earlier, the word friend also appears. Jesus says to his disciples, I do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because you have made known, because I have made known to you everything I have heard from God. Friend of Jesus shares the knowledge of God's operation in the world. A friend of Jesus shares the knowledge of what God is doing. A friend of Jesus shares how God is doing it. It's true. Being a servant does not know what the master is doing. That might be the bright side. The servant does not take home the work with them, but if the servant becomes a friend, then the master's burdens becomes the servant's own. And it seems that the friends of Jesus are never completely free of duty to bear the fruit and pay the price of love. I've made known to you everything that I have heard from God, Jesus says. Which again reveals a little bit more about our friend over here not wearing a wedding robe. But because do we actually really want to know everything? Historians tell us that the earliest church was so radical. The church was a phenomenon like no one had ever seen before. All were welcomed to the church early on. Women were treated as equals. Children given a voice. Nowhere 2,000 years ago were women and men afforded equality like it was in early church. <coughs> Children were considered nothing by the Romans. If a parent didn't want a child, they just left them on the side of the street and just kept on going. Slaves. Slaves were welcomed to the table in the early church. So were people of different color and different races, all coming together, all sitting together at a banquet table. The scandalous love was viewed as radical until Christianity became legal. Then religion of the empire began to, to look at, at and act like a religion and less like a church. It didn't take long for women to be excluded again, for those empowered to keep others out to secure their positions. 
theological ideas were created to say who was good and who was bad. But that scandalous love, the scandalous love of God just kept on going into the streets. Inviting the good and the bad. All the lost, all the forgotten, everyone that they called the least, back to the wedding banquet. To be a friend of Jesus doesn't shy away from such history. To be a friend of Jesus looks at the good and the bad of all history. To be a friend of Jesus looks beyond their self-interest and dares go a little bit deeper, mourning all those that have been left behind for the sake of power while stopping to listen to the cries of today. Like the 10,000 families whose loved ones were killed or injured in either Israel or Gaza in just one week. And not to forget about the 200 lives that have been killed or injured in Ukraine. And on this one-year anniversary of Hedingham, does not ignore that we've had over 500 mass shootings in the United States just this year alone. doesn't forget about the 27 million people worldwide that are subject to human trafficking. Yes, there's a lot of history out there. There's a lot of current events out there that I just prefer not to know. Just like the parable suggests, we make excuses to go back to that family farm. We make excuses to go back to business. I have to tend to my chores, we say. I have to look after the family, we say. This business I have to get done, we say. Busy, 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 we say. All in the name of making a difference. But this week, Hamas made a difference in the world. Just because you make a difference does not always mean that difference is good. Which, once again, brings us back to this friend not wearing a wedding robe. And one of Jesus' expectations of friend, of all of Jesus' friends of the church, is higher than just making a difference. If we simply go out into the world to make a difference, then often we make the difference that we want to make. What we think is right. And that looks a lot like us trying to be a savior. But our faith reminds us that we are not the savior. That Jesus Christ is our only savior. God has already made a, a crucial difference in the world through Jesus Christ. The question is not, will we make a difference? The question for Jesus' friends is, are we willing to respond to the difference that God has made and is making in Jesus Christ by allowing ourselves to be made different? 
which there again takes us back to this friend of ours who's wearing, not wearing a wedding robe, which, by the way, has nothing to do at all to do with nice clothes or how fancy we come to church. The wedding robe represents a baptismal robe. Everyone in the wedding banquet, they were soaking wet from the baptism, except for one person who was completely dry. He was wearing the same old robe that he did the day before, and the day before that, and the day before that. He refused to change. He refused to be made different. And there lies the only catch to the invitation to the wedding banquet. Part is open for all the friends to attend. But the catch, us allowing ourselves to be made different. That is, we are not required to have the answers. We are not even required to make a difference. Our only requirement to be in the friend group is to allow ourselves to be made different by the difference that God made and is making through Jesus Christ. Which made me think, are there anyone out there that Jesus would not invite? Is there anyone out there that Jesus will not um, transform that goes along with being Jesus' friend? Are there anyone out there that, that Jesus says, no, I can't call you friend? I scowled through all four Gospels to find that answer. I searched for all examples I could find of Jesus, deciding he could not call anybody a friend. He could not call one person a friend. I looked for some time when Jesus said he turned, to someone, turned someone away from that wedding party. I searched and I searched and I searched for that time when Jesus says to someone, I do not want to eat with you. You cannot come to my table. I will not and I cannot call you friend. I searched and I searched and I searched and I searched. And you know what I came up with? When Jesus turned someone away from God's table, when Jesus refused to call someone friend out of love. Your silence is exactly right. I found not one example. Not one time. Amen.